Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with a twist today because we're going to be talking about sake. We're going to be talking to Marco Massarotto, whose company is called La Via del Sake, which is the Sake Road, I guess. Is that right? The Way of Sake is a Japanese oh, way, though, concept. Okay, so how did you get into... Where you, let's start. Where are you from in Italy, first of all, and how did you get into sake, and why have you become such a fanatic for sake, and why do you want to spread the word? Well, I'm originally from Veneto, so close to here, half from Venezia and Bassano de Grappa, but mostly I'm from Milano, where I live and work. And during my business trips to Japan, thanks to Melinda Joe, which is a very famous sake journalist based in Tokyo, I went to a food tasting and uh, found myself in front of a wooden barrel with uh, square wooden glasses with no idea what was inside. My idea of sake at the time was, like most of the people, that sake is a hot liquor you drink for digestion, which is almost all wrong. And when I saw this, uh, given my Veneto roots, I just drank without asking. So I took this square cup and have a sip, had a sip. And then I asked Melinda, what is this? It's so good. It's so fresh, floral, fruity. And she told me, it's sake. And I was like, oh, but sake is a hot liquor. So I had a very, I've been frowned by her. And so we discussed all nights the misconception about sake, how little people know about sake. And imagine that in Milano, the first cuisine eaten by the people after the Italian cuisine is Japanese cuisine. And we are the land of wine. So In Milan, which is Italy's almost industrial or business capital. Yeah, 600 or 700 Japanese restaurants. Really? Yeah. Uh, not all are run by Japanese, but they are Japanese food. And the people doesn't make understand the difference. So what happens, usually what happened, because now it's getting better, is that Italian people were going to dinner at a Japanese restaurant and speaking to a Chinese owner and asking a hot sake after dinner. Nobody knew anything about that, so they convinced each other that that was the way to drink it. I mean, we can drink hot sake in some conditions, but it's not a liquor, it's not a distill, it's a fermented product. So what is it What is it made from? It's made from rice. So just to finish that, the story short, after that I decided to start my association to share this story, the story of the product, the story of the trade, the story of the craftsmen and the makers. And the sake is made by rice. It's a fermented beverage made with fermented rice. It's a process midway between beer and wine, and the finishes with uh, 15 degrees, 14, 15 degrees. So it's a by every mean product that should stand in the shelf of beer and wine. So 15% alcohol. Yeah. Is it, are you allowed to dilute it or not? Is that considered very bad etiquette? Uh, you mean as a producer or as no, a drinker? No, as a drinker. Uh, no, 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 no. Diluted with water? Yeah. No, no. Way. Would you dilute wine? No. No, so same same thing. Okay. So you made your first trip to Japan when? About 10 years ago. And, and then, you, do you speak Japanese? I'm studying now. Well, I, I started with a business trip as a Western person for a car maker. So, you know, not even food related. And uh, I've, I've always been fond of Japanese culture. So I decided to come back after that and come back after that. And then the La Via de Sake slipped out of my hands because I started getting invitations. I've been awarded by the Japanese Sake Association as a Sake Samurai, which is a funny name for the Western, but it's a very important recognition for them. And so uh, now I ended up uh, married to a Japanese woman with an Italian-Japanese son, with a business going up and down, so I go now very often. But it all started with glass, basically. Well, it's great that you got there through taste. 
Yeah. Isn't it? It's about it wasn't about the uh, history or the even the culture. It's actually something that you tasted, that you loved, that you found interesting, and that you've really followed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So overall, we talked about Milan. What what about the sake uh, scenario in Italy at the moment? Is it growing? Where is it growing, and why is it growing? It is growing. It is growing. Uh, the the sake export is uh, is growing. It's very small compared to the national sake production. It's two or three percent. So that is a critical number. Critical because uh, sake decline in the consumption internally as did in Italy because of a lifestyle change. In Japan you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. in Japan the, the second internal consumption declined and so the numbers of producers declined and since the export rate is so small it's a critical issue because it's a survival issue. So sake needs to be internationalized as a production to be produced elsewhere and as a consumption first of all. And uh, so it's growing everywhere. It's growing in Italy after the export 2015 has grown very much. Now Italy is the second market in Europe. So who drinks it there? Is it, is it young trendy people that want are they going to move on to the next fashion or is it older connoisseurs if you'd like that it's, prepared to try uh, new stuff? if I should say who drinks it and who likes it it's a, a little bit of, of, of all the, the ones you said the main distribution channel that leveraged the growth of sake in the past five years has been Japanese restaurants which uh, started putting a quality sake selection in their in their list and selling it and now the, the next step for sake is making its way into the into the wine world, into the wine and beers world. So wineries, restaurants, sommeliers, and wine experts who wants to widen their list or their shelf to have one more option to pair with food, which is also a, the, the, the best perf- the best way to enjoy sake. Okay, we'll come on to the food in a yeah, moment. Sure. So for the first time this year, Vinitaly International, which has a blind wine tasting competition called Cinque Stelle or Five Star, for the first time there was a sake category and you yeah. were in charge of that. Yeah. If I was on your panel, what would you say to me before I start tasting, would you tell me the things to look for in a sake? What should a sake, a good sake, have in terms of flavor or texture? Well, thanks of all, I want to thank Stevie for this opportunity. Stevie Kim, who's yeah. uh, Managing Director of Vinity International. For this opportunity for, for sake, which was very important, we had a great interest from so many important people in the wine world. It was a real challenge also because this was very quick to set up and we had to fit sake into the wine the criteria. Somehow, for for technical reasons for this uh, for this first year, but which was fine because we are in Italy, we are in Europe, so we want to make the product appreciated by that those standards. So what we had to do was a small panel, just three people. But what we had to do is we judge the sake visually by the nose and by the palate, which we do all the time. But we didn't do a proper sake form tasting, which there are. WCT is a great level free SAT form for tasting sake. That's for the Wine Spirit Education Trust. And uh, what we did was creating profiles of sake and, and we divided them by category and we uh, explained to the table what is the profile of that sake. So this sake is almost all the time uh, colorless and water white. Uh, so if you have it crystal clear, it's fine. If you have some notes, it might depend on that. So if you find a consistency and color notes, it might depend on some fermentation styles. So we, we explained the profile and so the judges were able to understand that uh, that color was um, deriving from a natural fermentation style which you find at the palate and so that made they made sense or that color was poor conservation and as a matter of fact we had a bad palate experience which never happened luckily but this was the concept so if you were there would have lectured you a little bit about the profiles of sake we hope we can mm. do next year so you know there's this thing about making uh, these orange wines these uh, white wines that have skin contact made like red wines is that happening with the rice wines as well the sake wines as well is that when you said about the color you said some wines had a color from no 
know, the color might, well, we tend to think the sake is colorless, but I would say that 40% of the sake or even more has a light color or some colors. Well, light yellow, light green. Uh, it's a light lemon green, pale lemon green, and then it gets up to gold and amber for the aged sake. How long do they take? A sake that's made to age, how long does it take to develop its color? Because obviously uh, wine changes it, color. It, I'm sorry if I answer, it depends, but it's the typical answer for sake. It depends because the sake aged five to 10 years at minus five degrees temperature, which don't evolve in color. They're completely colorless, but they taste like dried fruit. So the flavor changes rather than the color. Yeah, exactly. Usually you call it koshu, which means aged sake after two years in the tank. The first one year in the tank, six months to one year is called maturation. It's a standard phase of the production. If it stays in the in the tank two or more years, you, you there's no rules for that, but they usually start calling it koshu. And after three to five years, it starts evolving in color, and then it gets to amazing colors and amazing flavors we had at the Milano Sake Festival, a tasting of the vertical 5, 10, 20, 30 years old sake, which was really unbelievable. But color, just to finish quickly, might depend on the fermentation style. So if you make a natural lactic acid fermentation, or if you make a low rice polishing ratio, so you keep the rice almost integral and unpolished, that would affect in an important way the color of sake. The husk around the rice, is that what you're talking about? The husk gets removed in any case, but then you might ferment sake, so that brings the rice grain to around 90%, what they call semi-guai polishing ratio. 90% is what is left. You took away just that external 10%. If you brew sake with that type of rice, so all, all, uh, unpolished, let's say, you would have a sake that might easily turn to a, a yellow color or a gold color, very rich in umami, what they call the Japanese, because they have lots of proteins that get converted into amino acids. But if you polish the sake and they manage to polish down to 1% or up to 1%, but it means you, a small 1% bowl of, of starch and uh, nothing else, then you have a completely different fermentation. Very slow, very cold, and uh, very fruity because the, the, the yeast gets in a survival limit condition, so it starts developing different alcohols and esters. So we're getting really technical now. Well, it's fine. Uh, I mean, what you're saying, I mean, if, if I, we didn't know what we were talking about, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about in this interview, but you do, but the last little bit, I think, well, that, he's talking about wine, this guy. He's talking about, he's saying all the language of wine you're coming out with. Yeah. Um, well, well, I can say those things in Japanese and one of the sounds so familiar, but but it, I, I, as I told you at the beginning, it, the fermentation process of sake is a midway between wine and beer. Why midway between wine and beer? Just for the reason that in wine, we ferment fruit. In the sake, we ferment the cereal, rice, like in beer. And the difference with beer is that barley malts naturally because of the germ. Well, this, the, in sake, the germ is removed, so the sacrification, the sugar, comes from parallel fermentation done by a mold called koshi aspergillus oryzae, which uh, eats the starch and transforms into sugar. And this happens in the tank together so with the When you say a mold, you talk about, is it a fungi? You're yeah, a fungus, yeah. So rather than a yeast, in wine we have the yeast? No, 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 no. In sake, we have the yeast, but the yeast eats sugar and transforms into alcohol. And so that's what, so it's the fungi that creates the sugar? The fungus creates sugar from starch. And then the yeast ferment that? It, it sets sugar and transforms into alcohol. So it's a chain. So And, and it's called multiple parallel fermentation. So it's probably... It's called multiple? Multiple parallel fermentation, the sake fermentation. It's probably the most complex uh, fermentation in alcoholic beverage. I was just about to say, that sounds extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's done by the Japanese, so <laughs> no surprise, you know, and... Uh, that they can handle precision. It's very complex because you have to handle the fungus, the koji, not going too fast in producing sugar and not going too slow. If everything goes very fast, or, or, or it depends on the fermentation style you want to have. So the 
sake that you want all everything to rush the rice to melt lots of sugar to be produced and uh, close the fermentation in two or three weeks time and because you just want to save and make a st- table product or, or a carton product so in wine we have obviously you know you could broadly say there are three styles of producers there are the huge be- uh, multinational behemoths who just churn it out you have the tiny artisans with small hectares mainly making for local consumption either in their family or the local village or yeah. town and then you have kind of pretty much everybody else is that the same with sake is it something that you can make at home yes and yes but you find in the sake producers there are 1350 now they used to be 30,000 in the 70s they're only Japan except very few exceptions in a few countries but as I told you before 97% of the production is for internal consumption so the old cosmos or world of wine you find it in a microcosmos in Japan with uh, half of the production handled by five big producers and then you have uh, very small brewers for local consumption and in the middle you have crafts or artisan or artists or, or, or producers that make uh, exceptional quality sake you can brew it at home yes and they used to do it a lot until it got prohibited by the law at some time just to protect and develop the market the homebrew sake unfiltered very cloudy it's called Doboroku and uh, there's a Doboroku festival in Iwata Prefecture which is lots of fun <laughs> it's very uncommon by now but it could be one of the ways sake internationalizes people like the, the beer home brewers that could be the sake home brewers I don't see that coming yet but you know you never know so what's the demographic of the people that make it that these artisans are they like young 18 year olds that are full of the joys of sake or are they grizzled old men and women that are making sake like their grandparents used to make it's family based business and it's very generational so as uh, often happens in Japan from in industries and in companies you have the shacho the owner of the company the president that is running it and f- until his son is mature enough to handle the business and until he's, he's tired enough to, to just pass in a, like an old wise position. Many brewers now have been taken over by 30, 40s uh, younger generation. It's always been like that. So every 30, 40 years there's a generation change and every generation change brings a change. So this change will probably... Well, internationalization sometimes started from the previous generation of ours, so the people that are now 60. Others are doing it now. But also also the product might change because uh, most of the breweries now produce what is called futsushu, which is table sake, which is less appreciated by younger generations. So, well, because is it more rustic or <clears throat> is it less pure tasting? It's very ricey tasting, very simple, not complex, not fruity, not uh, delicate. So it's a table sake our grandfathers used to drink. Well, I like it, I must say. Sometimes I go to conveni- convenience stores in Japan and had an hamburger and futsushu, and it's great. And it's much better than table wine somehow, because the, the sake is very simple, it's not low acidity, low fruitiness. So you can make a, a decent or good product uh, making a basic product, which is more difficult for wine. But let's say less, less competitive product in the modern market so the new generation tend to evolve to premium sake so what is the etiquette when you drink sake do you just knock it back in one or do you smell it or sip it very slowly how, do, how does it work there's a lot of options about the vessels you can drink it okay. in but basically you drink it like wine you don't drink it all not even when it's in the small cups the ochoco it's in the small cups because you want to drink a little bit and and so you, you sip it a little by little the Japanese well it depends where you are of course but you don't do toasts or, or shots because you don't do it with wine, doesn't make any sense. So you drink it, you make the kampai. The kampai is interesting because it's a, it's a cheers where you, you click, cl- the, glasses click the glasses. But they have a completely different attitude in Japan. 
so usually we rise our glasses. In Japan, you, as a sign of respect for your person at the table with you, you try to go a little bit below with your glass to the other one and trying to make the person feel the more important on the table. So it's it's an opposite game to our rising glasses. But it's not like just a, a man thing. This is this is male, female, men, women drink as well, or is it more of a man thing? No, no, no. It's drank by all generation. Then traditional, very traditional contests might have the woman serving sake at the table, but it would be really, really traditional contests that are disappearing quickly. Now the, the, the women are emancipating very, very fast in Japan, and the new governor of Tokyo for the first time is a, it's a woman politician, so that's really old style. So you think sake could have a, have a socio, an effect on the social order as well, in terms of being one way where, I didn't know this, when women get more, I'm not saying equality, but have a, is that right? Or well, sake is still very traditional, so you so might you, find when you, say, sake, when you say traditional, do you mean very male? Traditional, I mean heritage of Japanese traditional culture. So it might be bringing innovation because it, uh, of renewals, but it might also bring very traditional scheme regarding to gender equality. So it's not difficult to find in sake the image of woman pouring, so that might be read as a old side traditional image, but at the same time, it's a it's an icon of Japanese aesthetics, so it's very difficult to judge when it comes to Japan for these things. And finally, tasting is more and more evolving with the food matching. We're uh, speaking a little bit before. There's a Japanese proverb which says Nihonshu wa ryori o erabanai means the sake, Nihonshu, Japanese sake, never fights with food. And it's so true. The low acidity, the non-existence of tannins and the absence of what we call the fruit in wine makes the sake hidden, you know. There's a there's another Japanese proverb or, uh, or concept that they, it says that the Japanese beauty is a hidden beauty. You have to look for it and uncover it somehow. So you're saying it's a drink with a very subtle flavor. It's a very subtle flavor. You have to look for it. So if we drink side by side a glass of sake and a glass of wine, well, sake has a little hard time because, you know, wine is shining, gold color, and maybe it's sparkling and uh, intense. Uh, but when you drink it with food, sake is really surprising. It's a very different journey. So the wine interacts with food by contrast, with acidity, with uh, tannins, uh, and uh, and uh, it's a, a contrast fight enrichment of different flavors. Sake works as collaboration, but if you think it's rice, the, the relation of rice with food. And so sake cleans the sharp aromas of food, so it's great with truffle, it's amazing with cheese. Uh, I never think of this as a competition, but I rediscovered cheese and our Italian cheese tradition thanks to sake. And the only absolute judgment I would feel to say is that probably sake is the best thing you can drink with cheese. Final question, what, what is the typical level of, a, of an everyday sake? So wine we're talking anywhere between 7% and 15% for a normal wine. Level, you mean alcohol? Yeah. Well, sake goes from 12 to 16, 17. 12 and 16, 17 are extreme. So 12% sake is a too light sake, and the 17 is very rare. So usually you have 13, 14, or 15 degrees. It's hard to tell the difference because it's hard to feel the alcohol in sake when you drink it compared to wine because of its hidden nature and subtle nature. And uh, so the average would be a uh, 13 to 15 degrees that would be most of the sake you would drink it Marco Maserotto absolutely fascinating I know not the first thing or I didn't until half an hour ago I know the first thing about it's sake it's a whole to, to yeah. discover so. uh, the similarities between, with, between sake and wine and the clear differences between the two so I think next year for the five star uh, tasting I might have to switch and come on your you're table you're very welcome to join us we'd be very happy and you're beautifully robed as well what is the robe you're wearing this is called the happy so the it's happy. a blue, blue robe with um, Japanese symbols 
symbols on the yeah on yeah. The well, the Japanese symbol. This is the ideogram of sake, and this is the ideogram of do, like ideogram, ideogram, the kanji or the ideograms okay. of sake, and this is the ideogram of do, which means the way, like the aikido, judo, or the, it's a Zen concept in in Japan. The, the do it means the way where you keep learning and you never and you never stop. So this is the happy, which is the traditional jacket. If you go to the the stands of sake, you see all the producers have it. The producers wear. This is a particularly it's a simple cloth, a simple dress. This is a particularly well crafted one. I I asked uh, the Masumi Brewery, which have an amazing artisan that makes this happy for them, to recommend me for having him produce a few for us. And so I bring it at the events because uh, it, it catches the eye and it helps starting the conversation. Yeah, it does. It does catch the eye. And uh, yeah, the conversation with you has been really interesting. I feel like I've just scratched the surface of a whole new world in terms of that's in terms a of perfect uh, definition. It's exactly like that. That's what happened to me when I had this two hours conversation with Melina in Tokyo ten years ago, and then I said we. Have have to tell this story to the Italian people but to the European people because it's amazing it's uh, full of uh, interesting things and it's completely unknown and it's part of a culture which we know very well so there's a lot to say I'm happy to be here and thanks for having sake Marco Masalotto thanks very much for coming in on the uh, sake wine podcast today my pleasure Um, yeah we good to do some recording on the road you know in Japan thanks a lot Marco thank you follow Italian wine podcast on Facebook and Instagram 